I've hit record, so hopefully it doesn't just go downhill from here. So, all right, everyone. So this is a completely new uh, kind of a pilot episode, if you will, of the Jason Wright slash James Quandall show. James, are you, if this if this goes well, if we don't just completely crash and burn on this thing, are you going to go ahead and put it on your show as well? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm definitely going to do it because I'm not. I'm much more reckless and not nearly as uh, perfectionist as James Quandall. Well, at the very least, I can email it out to yours so we can kind of catalog everything in one spot and see what happens. All right. That might be a better idea. Okay. All right. So you're, you're, you're the brains behind this operation. I'm just kind of a point shoot name type guy with, you know, the Jason Wright show. <laughs> and with us is John Landis, my buddy Landis. How you doing this morning? Great. Thanks for having me. I hope I'm not crashing the party. So I'm going to be just kind of uh, listening more than anything. <laughs> no, you're, 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 you're here because you are of the male species, which is kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So just so the listener knows, all right, so here's what's about to happen. Let me give you a little bit of background. So James Quandall and I are in a mastermind group with uh, two other guys. We visit uh, every other week and we just talk about kind of what's going on in our lives, what's going on in our businesses, what's happening with our families, just kind of a, uh, an iron sharpening iron type arrangement where we, um, where we just kind of discuss issues as men because there's 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 situations that are unique to us as husbands, as fathers, as fathers-to-be, as whatever the case may be. And then John Landis, I invited him on because he and I, like a couple of 80-year-old men, walk every Thursday morning or play pickleball like 80-year-olds on Thursday mornings. And uh, <laughs> I thought, and, and we just, we kind of riff on just issues of the day. And James, in one of our mastermind calls, we're, we're talking about just kind of what's going on with, uh, with men in modern society, the challenges that we are facing. And, it, and for, for me, I know personally, I have a heart for young men. I cannot imagine being a, a young man in 2023 and dealing with some of those challenges. And so James came up with this uh, as we were just kind of just discussing this kind of topic at large, he said, you know, I've just, I, I've got this, this title for like a podcast or an episode or something called the endangered man. And I, when I heard that, I was like, Oh my gosh, dude, you nailed it. That is beautiful because there is uh, whether you, and some people, you know, look, and that's what we're, I think we should talk about. There are some people out there that they hope to God that the, what we have known as, and in particular, in our case, the American male, they are hoping to God that it is an endangered species and that it can eventually be exterminated and go the way of the, uh, the saber-toothed tiger, while others are saying, wait a minute, the, the man, the traditional male, as in, in its best form, is something that we should, we should cling to, we should, you know, we should hold on to. Um, and so I think that that's what we want to talk about. And if you, the listener, if you want to hear more topics like this, and it, especially to our men out there, listen, I know, I think I speak for James. I'm going to let James, you know, speak for himself here in a moment, but I think that if there's something you are challenged with, if there are some waters that you're struggling to navigate either at home, with your spouse, at work, uh, then let us know. And let us know if this could be beneficial. You know what? I was thinking whenever before we came on, guys, I was like, this needs to be a safe space for men, 
for for you know th- th- there we need to have our safe space and that kind of brings up this why this is happening and what Warren Farrell in his book Boy Crisis which I want to discuss here in a minute it's one of the things he talks about is that there is no effort for to say hey what do we do about the young men you know, what do we do to make sure that they are being developed properly other than make sure to eliminate any masculinity from them almost essentially if i'm a young boy today i'm i'm basically believing that my biggest endeavor should be to be more like the girls because the girls are the pride of the classroom they're the they're the they're prettier they're nicer they're gentler and boys sit down be still shut up be more like marcia so with that opening you know John or, or James, since you're you're kind of my co-pilot on this deal, you got anything to add to that? I do. It's something I hear a lot from friends and older people that never had kids, and even on social media. Um, just first of all, statistically, we're at a declining population in many of the first world countries right now. Right. And then you hear people saying, "I would never want to have a kid right now. I wouldn't want to bring up a kid in this environment." Mm-hmm. And I go, yeah, it's a tough environment. But my counter is, but who's going to fix it? Yep. And the only way we're going to fix it is if we raise strong children that can change the future. We're not going to be able to do it. We can start to usher in the right direction, but it's going to be our young men that are going to be able to do it. And when you look at the role models that kids have today, it's people like Homer Simpson and um peter griffin and like those are men in today's society and they're just disgusting like they're not what i picture as an ideal man i think that would be something we could maybe riff on in a little bit is like what is a like what is the qualities of a man that we're looking to emulate and what qualities are endangered like what qualities are we missing from our men but i just think it's needed just to discuss these things I don't have all the answers. I don't really, you know, I I know what I can say is I want to improve every day and be a better man and a better husband. And I'm working on it and I read books and I watch videos and I think about it and I talk about it with friends like you, but I'm not perfect at it. And that's really what I see this as, as a place for us to discuss it, to look at the news and talk about what's happening and also bring on experts, bring on people like John Eldridge and talk about, um, boys and the rites of passage and what's missing and fatherhood and absence and all this other stuff. I agree. And Landis, as a recent father yourself, kind of what is your overall take on this? And, you know, your, your baby girl, Clara, you know, what kind what are you doing to not only be a, a father and the man of your household that she can look to, but what are you hoping that she finds in a male one day as her husband? Well, the first thing I can do besides raise her in the word and to love Jesus and what he preached and did is I've got to love Laura, my wife, as a real life example every day that my daughter sees and hears and is around and so she can start seeing that well man my dad you know he always did this for her. he loves doing this or 
I know sometimes even in the tough days or the long days, he still comes home and, and it's, it's a friendly environment. It's a loving environment. He's checking on me. He's checking on my mom, you know, so that's just, just being my best for her every day transitions into being my best for my daughter at the same time, it, whether she knows that or not. And I don't have to express, did you see how I hugged your mom when I walked in? Did you see how I asked her day was? It's just the daily, everyday reinforcement of, I love your mom and I love you. And um, that's, I think that's just kind of, it, it works itself out in that way. Yeah, and you bring up a great point. Something that I think gets um, really lost in translation a lot is the ideal of the biblical male and the biblical uh, role of the husband in the family. And it's because of the the one verse that says, you know, wives submit to your husbands. And it just kind of gets, everybody kind of zeroes in on that as though that were the beginning and the end of that statement. And, you know, what would you say, James, is <clears throat> if you're a Christian, which we all, all three of us are, and by the way, you know, to anyone listening, this is, this is three Christians, but I think that the principles of how a, a woman should be treated as a wife and as a spouse and just in how men should behave is pretty universal, but that's what we use as our model. James, what would you say m- people misinterpret about the Christian husband and the way that biblically the role of husband and wife is designed. What are some of the misconceptions they might have? I think that a misconception is that it's a forceful submission and not by choice. And if you love someone and respect someone, why wouldn't you submit to their authority and what they want? And if you don't, because a lot of times what people talk about when this verse comes up, is abusive relationships right. well yeah like do something about that for sure like you should not be submitting in a way that's toxic to yourself or your family um but in a loving relationship where the husband is also supporting and submitting to his wife it's a good thing it's a natural thing and i think that's what's lost could not agree more john you got anything on that I mean, I I don't. I think uh, I think James hit it pretty well there. So, yeah, I think that the thing that's sad is that you know Jordan Peterson. I was watching him. He was in a conversation with, I believe, it was a Scandinavian uh, journalist here recently, and she went through this whole process about how women feel inferior, and she brought up the the Bible, or she felt that Jordan Peterson had this idea that women were inferior. And she brought up the idea of the Bible and how women were uh, not treated well <clears throat> in the course of the Bible. And Jordan Peterson brought up a great point. He said, no, wait a minute. Why would you ever say that? Because it says in the Bible that men and women were created in the image of God. It wasn't men were created in the image of God <clears throat> and women are just something else. And I think that this it's, it's sad that we've gotten to this point where, and again, it goes back to young boys. The confusion that a young boy must deal with these days is almost beyond comprehension because, you know, if, if I had a son, which I don't, I have two daughters, but so therefore I have raised them to, to find men that will treat them as to be cherished, to be not. And again, I think we confuse this idea of 
if I'm a man who wants to protect my wife, then that somehow means that she's weak, that but she needs me to protect her, that she is somehow inferior and I'm the hero. Whereas that I've never viewed it like that. I've viewed it as though one, well, like in my, for my example, my, my wife is nearly a, you know, a foot shorter than me. She is much, weighs half my size. And so therefore she is as, as the idea of the softer sex, she's way, you know, she's much smaller than me just physically. But more than that, it's, I cherish her. She is the, she is the apple of my eye. She is a, a great wife is harder to find than anything. It's like, it's, 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 it's amazing. And so I cherish her and I love her and I adore her, but you don't hear hardly I, guys. Can you name one time in a television show in any form of pop culture, James, you mentioned it earlier with regard to the, the, the lampooned husband or male, the buffoon that's out there, just the complete chauvinistic moron that we see. Can you name one time in recent history where we celebrated this guy who was just chivalrous? I mean, he was the ideal that, you know, that just looked to be honorable, not, it's almost like, unless you're submissive and you fall into this beta role where you're basically just taking on feminine qualities, which by the way, by and large surveyed women do not want, which is kind of interesting. Um, I can't think of a time where that has been promoted in recent history. Can you guys? Not in anything recent. Um, but I think Westerns and a lot of older movies and shows did have these sort of values embedded in them. So I agree. And let me see if I can get to it. There was a great thing that um, Warren Farrell wrote in this book as to kind of why this is happening. All right. So and, and the reason I bring it up is because you talk about the Westerns and that sort of thing. And so we're kind of at a, a crossroads where we're still willing to sacrifice men. We're okay if men die. You know, Warren Farrell, oh, I, and it, I'll, I'll play the video, and he mentions this in a TED Talk. We send men off to war to die to protect the country. We will send men up on high lines to, to risk their lives to, in, in the middle of a storm. We send men out on oil rigs that are incredibly dangerous, right? We, 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 we're okay with men being put in great danger. Once upon a time, though, there was this that we would see the westerns, we'd see war movies. The, the culture reinforced the need for a man to want to do dangerous things to, and to fulfill, by the way, his ancestral wiring to want to do, like you mentioned, John Eldridge and Wild at Heart. We are wired to, for adventure, we are wired to want to go out and do those things, and we used to reinforce that. But now we're saying, okay, what well, we, we can, sorry to interrupt, but no, no. we would reinforce it. And show it as a positive as thing. As a positive thing. Absolutely. And now we are, sh we are shown that you know, the, the ideal male is this kind of, um, again, the beta male, passive, not so strong. And yet, but so we want him in, in, in everyday life to be very, very submissive, very quiet, very low key to suppress any and all forms of adventure, masculinity, desire for conquering and, you know, and, and, and striving and ambition, so, you know, just suppress all that. But also we want you to go die if we need you to. <laughs> it's just like, 
you know, that's... well, and it's no wonder there's no one signing up to join the military. And so we we're having a hard time filling roles in the U.S. military. And when people are interested, they aren't physically capable of filling the roles because they actually can't pass the uh, physical screening tests. Yeah, I actually was visiting with a uh, with a, uh, a two star general uh, this this week. And he said it is one of the biggest things that the army it has. It's one of the the toughest things they're facing right now is just recruitment. And and one of the things that he was talking about that I that uh, Landis, I may want to get you to help me with with your uh, since you have a strong, uh, you know, uh, background with TISD in particular is he said that in a lot of uh, schools, what they're doing is they're honoring with a special red, white, and blue cord those kids that have decided to go into the military after high school, but they're trying their best to figure out creative ways to just honor these students that are going into the military because it's such a problem. And so, yeah, and I think that that's what a lot of people are missing is this trickle-down effect of if if you kind of just completely neuter the male species, if you just come, kind of compress them into this, this softer, gentler, non-masculine role, there are going to be consequences of that. And it might, and, and, and also, and you know, like one of the things that Warren Farrell says is that just the way the job landscape is lining up, like we hear a lot about you know, the, the pay gap. And then when you dig into the details, you know, you know, all things being equally equal, if a male and a female apply for the exact same job right out of undergrad, then the woman is going to receive more money. The problem comes in is that she's not going to stay in the workforce as long as as the as the male most likely because she may decide to have children, have a family, whatever. You know, and Jordan Peterson always says this too. He says, "Look, women are just smarter than guys. We, we will work ourselves into the ground, and we will just, you know, we will forsake everything to 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 continue just working and grinding and taking on the world. Whereas a woman's a little more logical and, and smarter in that regard and says, you know, hey, there's more to life than just this, and so." He used to like he used to make, and I, I don't know if he still has time to do this or not. But one of his biggest um, uh, roles as a clinical psychologist, he would go in and consult these really, really big, high-powered law firms because what the law firms were finding is it was really hard to keep their top female talent after around the age of thirty-five to thirty-nine, and because they would leave to they would go and, and look, look what they're able to do. Look at the position you're in as a as a educated, bright woman that's in one of these top law firms. Okay, first of all, you have to, you have your pick, right? I mean, you're, you're in this position where you don't quote unquote need a male financially. And if you are going to find one, because you are so, uh, so you're a high earner yourself, you're probably going to marry someone within your socioeconomic status. So you're going to go get the pick of the litter. It's going to be a bright, smart, you know, hardworking individual. And so therefore there's not a lot of risk. Whereas men, and by the way, three out of four women surveyed do not want to date an unemployed man. (laughs) One out of four men have a problem with a woman being unemployed. I mean, so, so men, so those are, you know, we're, we're called the objectifiers and all these different things. Yet we are willing to accept a woman who doesn't work. Uh, we do, our standards are, are much more physical. Now there is that we, men, you know, we are attracted to youth 
and, and beauty. Uh, whereas women are more attracted to, and by the way, this isn't opinion. Again, this is where, this is what you were afraid of, James. You know, when we start saying these things, we're going to piss a lot of people off because people hate the statistics on these, these topics. If it doesn't meet with their feelings and their worldview, they just can't stand it. But the bottom line is women, for example, they, they, they're not as focused on attraction, but what I've learned reading these statistics, if you are a short dude that is not well-educated and does not have a high-paying job, good luck. The, that is something that, <laughs> that all surveys show women just don't want. And, uh, and I think that it's, and we never talk about that. We never talk about the fact that, and, and is that right or wrong? Is it right or wrong that we have these natural tendencies? And um, I think that that's one of the problems too, is that we're not allowed to kind of look objectively at the differences of the species and, and figure out how do we accentuate the positive and leverage some of that for the good of the whole, right? I think a lot of times, I want to go back to what you said about men working themselves to death and women being smarter. But I think a, um, a lot of times we take some of these fringe outlier people or studies or facts and we kind of say, well, there's a lot more people in that wing than we than in the other wings, right? right? I think there's a lot more people who just want a traditional. I could be wrong. I'm at least hopeful. I think there's a lot of people that want more of a traditional um, relationship that their grandparents maybe had. I don't yeah. know. I, that's what I was looking for. Um, I would love to see some stats on that. But you did mention men working themselves to death. But do you know what I have seen? I've seen a lot of men in their 60s and 70s who double down on family after mm -hmm. they stop working. And that's when they're wanting to get really involved with the grandchildren. And they're seeing their grandchildren having a better relationship with their grandchildren than they did with their own kids because they were so busy working when their kids were being raised. Have you seen anything like that? Yeah, I absolutely have. I, I think that I think that it's that's the nice thing about what's happening <laughs> There is some permission being given to men. I think that's almost what it is. It's like, and trying to look at the bright side, is that it's okay for you to forsake the income, the job, the consulting gig at 65 after you've retired to instead buy the RV, load up the grandkids, and be focused on that. You can you can slow down on the hunting and <laughs> hunting and gathering and instead just enjoy the fruits of your labor. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, Landis... You've been kind of quiet on this. I mean, what what are your thoughts? Like, do you want that traditional type scenario for, for Clara? I mean, I know that's kind of a loaded question, but uh, what are your takes? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I want her taken care of way better than I could ever take care of her, you know, and then and, and I want, um, you know, the goal is always to see your kids do better, to see their kids do better, to see that, you know, the, just the chain always improving, always getting better um, resources and, and just the, the things that, um, I, I don't know, will improve their lives that we can't even think of um, at right now. And um, so I, I think that's hugely important. And um, I mean, I would just say, you know, I, I want, I want to give, you know, my wife and daughter and, and if there's more to come, you know, the best I can give and, and the entire world, but I fully expect to be outdone by who they decide to marry and start families with and be, and help raise my grandkids with. So I want the bar to, 
to be high, but I fully expect that bar to be pushed upward and me to be so over the moon happy about it that, you know, my son-in-law treats my daughter like the queen that I was always hoping and always trying to treat her as, you know, when I, when it was my job to do so. So that's kind of how I see that. And I think one of the things that's kind of frustrating right now is that I don't hear, at least in pop culture, and I and look, I'm like everyone else. I probably live in my own echo chamber and bubble and read the, you know, I try my best. I, I even listened to Pod Save America not too long ago just to kind of see what's the what's the take on the uber left side of things, the the postmodernist, you know, kind of things. And uh, so, I, but I will fully admit, you know, my my knowledge is limited. Maybe there's something out there that I'm not seeing. But I don't see a large push for for anything on the female side of what kind of a woman you should be that's anything other than, you know, accepting whatever you look like, regardless of whether or not it's detrimental to your health, either based on your behavior, ergo, I've never seen it, uh, any statistics or any studies or any research that says, as a woman, the more sex you have before you're married, the healthier you will be, both mentally or physically. I haven't seen that that study come out yet. And if it is, again, please you know contact us. Let us know uh, that, that says you know, hey, if you're a, if you're a girl and you just let men run through you, you know, till the cows come home and then decide to settle down, it's the healthiest thing in the world. What you know, st- all studies show. If, if if that's a, if that exists, I'll look, but I don't think it is. Um, and so therefore, and I also don't think that that does much for uh, their mental state. I don't think a woman that, you know, sleeps around a lot, it helps her mentally any more, by the way, than it helps a, a male. I, I would say the same thing to a son. Like this is just, you want to find a woman that has saved herself for you. And you want to be that honorable man that has saved himself so that you guys can figure this out together. Uh, but what we're, what I see doing is instead of promoting women to, to be more, ch- to cherish themselves, it's like they're basically being told to accept yourself no matter what you set your standards. Don't you, and, and whether they're high or low, they're your standards and you live according to them, irregardless. I don't hear much talk of saying, hey, here's how you should cherish yourself as a woman. And what I see, and this was kind of in it's kind of crazy is I see more talk, more encouragement for women to be more like what they hate in men, especially sexually and premaritally. I mean, and and again, what, you know, what is interesting is the being a stay at home mother is something a lot of stay at home mothers, I think are embarrassed about now. Oh, absolutely. Um, there was someone that I was chatting with. I said, oh, what do you do? Which I hate that question. I don't oh, know why I ever ask that. Same it's here. the worst question. It doesn't tell you anything about someone, but sometimes it just comes out. It's like a habit. Right. And they're like, oh, you know, I, I stay home with the kids. Like I used to do X, Y, Z. And there's almost like a little bit of shame. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you ashamed of one of the most important roles you can possibly have, which is to foster and care for the next generation? That's going to, you know, continue everything that we've got going on. And somehow uh, it got twisted to where if you're a woman that wants to take care of a household, 
and cook and clean and and educate your children that that's somehow like not feminine now which is crazy and so my wife emily like she has to find all sorts of books that teach a lot of this because you aren't being taught it either right. like how to take care of a home how to lead a home how to cook how to clean and it's it's just sad because i think it's it's beautiful it's great well of course it is did you guys uh was home economics a thing whenever you guys were in school it, it yeah. was yeah but yeah. I, I don't know if that's around anymore like we either. had wood shop and home economics. Yeah, exactly. And I can guarantee you, I, I would hate to know what kind of home economics classes they're teaching in 2023. So maybe it's probably <laughs> good if it's not around. But yeah, to that point, I mean, I can't imagine anything more honorable than you know, creating a stable environment at, at the home, you know, and, and what an honor. And, and, and women, that's their superpower is that they can give birth. I mean, when it's unbelievable. It's a miracle. I mean, and then they, they have a connection and a, an ability and talents and gifts that I believe are divinely, you know, given that, that men don't have. Now we have ours, but they have one. And so, yeah, I agree with you, James. It's, uh, and, and it's frowned upon, but here's the thing that sucks right now. This is, and again, now this is pure Jason Wright theory, okay? This is theory, so feel free to take this with a big old clump of salt, folks. And I think that a lot of the, um, a lot of the stay-at-home mom shaming or the traditional female role shaming comes from a lot of bitterness. I think, that, and that's what, I think a lot of what's happened in our society is, we need targets for why we're pissed off. We need something to point to that's tangible to blame. But ultimately, I think a lot of it is just they're pissed off at the order of, and if you don't believe in God and the way this is all designed, the universe. You know, that's kind of become the new uh, pseudonym for if, if I don't believe in God, well, it's the universe. I think they're really pissed off at the universe, that the universe made them deep down. A lot of these women that kind of shame and wag their finger and like, oh, really? You stay at home with kids? Like the Chelsea Handlins or Handler, whatever her name is, that really, really unfunny supposed comedian they, that, you know, they talk about how wonderful leading a barren, narcissistic, self-involved life, how just magical and amazing that is. I think deep down, they're probably pissed off because there's something in them biologically that would like a family that would like to have the male that they're been, that they're told they should hate. I mean, look, I have known guys, I have known very liberal women. I mean, they check all the awesome boxes for, for liberalism that would <laughs> not for one minute date a beta male. They want a conservative kind of John Wayne type and essentially what they want. And that's why I think that it, I think most women these days, to be honest with you, and this, and I'll, I'll get you, I want y'all's take on this. I'm going to be in some big trouble here, James. We may never launch the endangered man because you're going to be, well, so, you're going to be Jason Wright's going to be endangered. <laughs> oh, I know I'm going to get so much hate, but I think, you know what the perfect man for, for a lot of these women are these days, you need to be tough Rugged, you need to be Indiana Jones, but pro-choice. If you're Indiana <laughs> Jones and pro-choice, I'm good with you. I think that, uh, uh, am I right? Silence, cricket, y'all are scared to even weigh in on this. I don't, I don't know. I think just based on the last 20 minutes of conversation, I think we're going to need to get some 
uh, guests in here, some some female guests that can oh, I'd love weigh that. in. Absolutely. Um, because like we said at the beginning, we don't know. Hell no. All I know is I don't see a lot of role models for me in the public space. And I'm, I'm, I have a traditional marriage and I want to have a traditional home. And I don't see a lot of examples I can follow. And, and I, and I think it's disappointing because we, we, there's a lot we could, we could talk about statistics of, of things that are going wrong. There's a lot going wrong and we're going to need strong men and strong women to fix it. I agree. And I think that you just brought up something that is kind of the point of all this is it's like, instead of tearing down and throwing away everything that exists, what if you improve upon what we already have? Because there's some good stuff. I mean, that's the thing too. There's some good stuff that has come from the male species. You know, the, the, the roads we drive on, again, the power lines that, that carry the, the power to our homes, uh, the sewers, the trash that gets picked up, the wars that have been won. There have been some good things that have come from the male species. So instead of just completely rearranging and changing their roles and trying to exchange some of the female roles for the male roles that, that most females may not really want at large, why not try to improve upon what we, what we have? Uh, do you guys want to check out? All right, so just so that the, um, the listeners know who Warren Farrell is, I don't know if I, you guys know this. Warren Farrell was on the... Uh, the board of directors for the National Organization of Women now, which is a very because he's a he's a psychologist or a PhD who's done so much research on uh, on these topics. And one of the things he found whenever he was on the board of now, he was working with the uh, Obama administration at the time on some some uh, some girl initiatives, you know, like the, like uh, we've had this at the Tolerance Pipeline, John, the girls that code and the whole, you know, girls, you know, movement into these different roles and uh, both vocationally and everything. And one of the things that he, he asked whenever he was there, he's like, well, this is fantastic. It's good work. What are we doing? What initiatives are we pushing for boys? And everyone was like, yeah, nothing. I mean, you know, one, why would we do that? And then he started asking these kind of questions like, okay, we in America in particular, we, we, we rightfully question what is the root of the problem that causes more black men to be incarcerated than any other, you know, uh, segment in society. And Warren Farrell, he asked the question that no one seems to ever ask is that, what a minute, wait a minute. It's not, why do we focus just on the race, which is significant and which should be looked at, but we never look at the sex. Why is it that there are so many more men that are in, incarcerated? Why, we, we, we tend to look at just race, and what we, what we don't look at is the fact that there's something that both blacks and whites have in common is that it's mostly men that are in prison. It's mostly men that are committing suicide. It's mostly men that are dying sooner. It is mostly men that are falling out of the workforce. There's all these things that black, white, Hispanic, it doesn't matter, that they all share, and that is they, they're of the same species. And so he started looking at this, and he gave a really good TED Talk. And I don't know, we've, we don't have to watch the whole thing, but I thought we would just kind of tee this up as, again, to get some, some a more, much more expert voice on this matter with regard to some of the statistics. So 
I'm going to see if I can pull this up. Keep your hands raised if they fit uh, one, one of your sons, grandsons, or nephews fit the category. All right, and the category, by the way, that he mentioned there, he was asking how many are addicted to porn, video games, and then something else. He was essentially asking his audience. Or have ADD. Or ADD. There you go. How many of them have the, these issues? Okay, about 30% of the um, audience fits that category. So question one is why are we blind to something that is so much around us that we would have to even ask the question, well, is there a boy crisis? Second two, is there a boy crisis? Number three that I'll be looking at tonight is some causes and a solution or two. So let me start with our blindness. Think about when we hear of a police officer shooting a black boy. We rightly protest, black lives matter. But no one even thinks of saying, boys' lives matter. The boy and black boy were invisible to. Black boys, the boy part of black boy doesn't matter because historically, we've been dependent upon boys dying in order for us to live. We bribe them by social bribes called calling them heroes, telling them they'll have glory if they die on our behalf. So our first issue is if our very survival has been dependent upon our son's willingness to die, being sensitive to their death competes with our survival instinct. We can't get anywhere in terms of seeing the evidence for the boy crisis unless we take that curtain up first. When we take that curtain up, I think the type of evidence we'll be seeing is that for the first time in US history, our sons will have less education than their dads. If we take this worldwide, the UN found this year that boys have fallen behind girls in every single one of the 70 developed nations. So what do developed nations have in common? They have in common a much greater propensity for divorce, leaving boys oftentimes without their dads. So dad-deprived boys becomes the number one cause of the boy crisis. When you have less father... I want to take up that topic right there because I've actually written about this um, and, you know, what do you guys think with regard to the whole fatherless culture that, because like right there, what, what Warren Farrell is saying, that's controversial in 2023. To say that there, that somehow there's a correlation between a boy's behavior and lack of a father in the home, because there are, we're, we're trending towards you know, we less and less need for fathers, less and less need for men. And then there are certain segments of society in which that is a very common thing is for there to not be a father in the household. And so therefore, if someone like Warren Farrell correlates the ill behavior or the problems of the boy being related to the lack of father, a lack of a, a father in the home, which he's about to give an alarming little note about which group this is seems to be hitting the hardest as, as far as bad behavior on the back end of it, then somehow you're shaming those people. I mean, am I right? It's, it's like I talked about with role models. If 
you don't have a dad in your home or you don't see your dad, who's your model as a male? It, yep. Is it a teacher at school? You don't know what they have going on at home. Is it a principal? Is it, is it, who, is it a neighbor? Like if the dad's not there to instill their values on the, the son, they're going to learn their values from somewhere else. And it might be a professional athlete. It might be a professional musician. It might be a YouTube gamer. We don't know where it's going to come from if the dad isn't taking ownership of that. And just looking at pop culture, looking on Twitter, looking at who people are lifting up as our idols, they're not people I would want to emulate. A lot whoa, of times whoa, they don't. Whoa, 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 whoa. But you don't mean Sam Harris. I mean, uh, I, I don't. Mean, no, what's that? Sam Smith. Sam Smith. Sam Harris. No, don't, <laughs> I, don't emulate Sam Harris either. He, I, I used to like Sam a lot, and I still, I mean, he's, he's smart, but he's too smart for his own good, I think. But, but no, Sam Smith, wait, you're not talking about Sam Smith, though. We emulate, we, we have these desires to follow these celebrities who are gifted in one area and oftentimes bankrupt in other areas of their life. Mm -hmm. And they'll be the first to admit it. And yeah. it's so often, I, I don't remember who this was that said it on a podcast. They basically said, if you want to be like Tim Ferriss, for example, then you have to be like all of Tim Ferriss. You yeah. don't get to just choose the the parts of him you like. You got to be part, all of them. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think that that is what we're missing with celebrity fascination and emulation. Is there's a lot of these celebrity traits that they would tell you firsthand you do not want in your life. Like they'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, and I want to just say something honoring about Tim Ferriss in that regard too. Is that. He has, first of all, I think he's a guy that wears his celebrity very heavily. I don't think he really enjoys it that much. And secondly, the openness with which he has spoken about his depression, his bouts with depression, even at the peak of his success. I mean, the guy right now is, I mean, he, he is kind of, I mean, how many of us have podcasts, started podcasts because of Tim Ferriss? How many of us have tried to shrink the, uh, the, the work week into four hours because of Tim Ferriss? You know, how many of us did some stupid stuff like eat way too much protein at, at one time? <laughs> you know, I mean, Tim Ferriss has influenced how guys have eaten, how they've slept, how they've had sex, the things they do before they have sex. I mean, and yet he's willing to say, but understand, I have this huge demon that I battle. I think that's a great point, James. And, you know, look, I said something kind of um, jokingly about Sam Smith. Whenever he started whenever he started doing this unholy video and then the Grammys deal, which I, of course, wouldn't watch the Grammys if you paid me, but uh, but I did see the, 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 the highlights or lowlights, however you want to talk about it. And I'm like, that it's almost like he's trying to be a male or I know he's non-binary or whatever he calls himself now, uh, Lady Gaga, but he doesn't have to. The guy's, the guy has a beautiful voice, unbelievable talent. It's like, he could just stand on that. Just like, kind of like I look at him and I might be wrong again. I'm not the most pop cultural savvy guy. It probably comes across. I had to me. actually just Google who that was. So that shows you my pop culture, uh, relevance. Well, I, 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 while I don't listen to a lot of his music, I can appreciate his talent. And to me, he's kind of like the, and again, not meaning to be disrespectful because some people say that I'm misgendering or something like that. And YouTube might not let me be on here, but uh, I'll just say non-binary Sam Smith, I think is the, that version, the non-binary version of say Adele, 
you know, she's uber talented, doesn't, is not going to do the same things that Lady Gaga or Madonna did back in the day, or even Christina Aguilar. That's not how Adele is going to rise to being one of the greatest female vocalists of all time. She didn't have to do that. She just didn't. And that's not to knock Gaga or any of them. They're, 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 it's a different type of talent, right? And I thought Sam Smith's the same way. Why is he doing all this attention-seeking crap that has nothing to do with his God-given talent to sing? It's like, just, anyway, that has nothing to do really with the topic of today. But that's what's just, I don't understand. Why, does, why can't society just be happy with him being a phenomenal singer and entertainer? Uh, why does well, he have to wear it, balloon it's just, suits? It, it's it's it goes back to role models. I would I would wonder, like when you look at someone and you can't quite figure out what's going on, who are their role models? Yep. And I I just really think the fatherlessness. It, it you know I volunteered in in Big Brothers and Big Sisters and the Boys and Girls Club, and kids ask you questions that would shock you that they're asking almost a stranger yeah, because there's not someone in their home or in their school. They feel comfortable asking that question to. And if there's not someone in their house or in their school to ask that question to, and there's not a volunteer at a nonprofit, they're going to go to Google and ask yep. that question. And parents out there that are listening to this, you're not going to like the answers. Google's going to give them. That's right. That's right. And, Landis, I know that I get to kind of see, I know your dad and I've, I've seen the, uh, the boys that he's raised and everything. I got to believe that Drew Landis is kind of the, uh, the ideal that you've had as a, a role model in your house, or, or if you want to have a counseling session and unleash on all the, the ills of Drew Landis, we can do that too. That could be, maybe it makes them for some real good downloads. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a totally different show. Someday. No, you just, you just start crying and just wailing, you know, and just, yeah. And we go, oh, wow. Okay, folks, we're going to take a break. John's having a moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what I, what I do. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, my dad, I, I couldn't create something better. You know, the old video games, you create a player. Well, I, that's who I'd create every time. So, wow. um, I, I do want to say one little point though, before I forget, it's just, so I taught seventh grade Texas history for one year, public schools here in Tyler, 120 students. And I would say, and, you know, minority majority students, and I would say 60% of the boys, now the girls were an issue too, but let's just focus on men here. The 60% of the boys I had either didn't know who their father was um, or best case scenario saw him once or twice a month when it was their turn to be at their dad's house. So, and shockingly, 95% of my behavior issues in the classroom and discipline issues was that group of kids. Yeah. And um, thankfully, and, and, I, and that, was, that was hard enough. Um, thankfully, I had the advantage of also being, you know, helping coach football, track, and basketball, which I had a lot of that same group of kid, uh, boys. So I was able to, you know, try to enforce discipline, not only in the classroom, but, you know, on the practice field, et cetera. So I had I had that leg up, but I, I just think of all these teachers that struggle with trying to be a good role model or the only role model. So you would hope to be a good one for these kids that are with you eight hours a day, five days a week for you know ten months of the year or whatever. Um, and it's just and even even with my leg up of oh we don't want to you know get in trouble with coach he he can make us do something like 
it, it was still that difficult. And um, but but I will say, you know, the first of the year, middle of the year even was still so tough with that group because it's like I, I don't look like them. I didn't grow up like them. Like there's there's nothing. And they know that they're they're 12 and 13 years old, but they still know that I'm trying to bridge a build a bridge to somewhere I've never been or, or can't really truly relate it and have experiences from. Um, but at the same time, man, those kids want discipline. Like they want structure. They would never say it. They'd never tell you and even admit to it probably. Um, but they, but man, they crave that. And when I finally was like, Hey, I want you guys to learn about Texas history because I want to be a good teacher, but I, I want you to take away so much more of how to act right, how to respect the girls in your class, how to talk to each other, how to work things out, et cetera, that you're using 40 years from now and not hoping that you remember the date that the Alamo was fought when you're 35. You know, I, I tried to be as realistic and I would actually tell them that, you know, I'd be like, hey, this could get me in trouble. I want you guys to, to do well and, and make great, you know, good grades. And, uh, but man, there is so much more than what we talk about in the classroom today and on the chalkboard. Like, like let's really, let's think long-term and, and hopefully if that helped just one, then I feel like that was worth it for a full year of the roller coaster it is of being a teacher uh, in America these days. And that was already seven years ago. And it still feels like yesterday sometimes thinking about that group of group of kids. Well, you said something that reminds me <clears throat> of when I was growing up, you know, we talked earlier about how a woman should be treated. I remember one time and I know my brother remembers this. We talk about it. It's, it's in right family lore forever. One day, my dad didn't know what chill out meant. It was whenever people just started saying chill out. <laughs> and my mom is saying something. And my dad walks in about the time that my brother Craig says, mom, chill out. Holy crap. My dad <laughs> grabs Craig by the front of his shirt, puts him up against the wall. And he says, you will never, ever speak to your mother like that again. And, um, and he, and, and, and it was like just this, and we knew growing up that one, my father did not speak to my mother with a, in a harsh tone. They, they argued like people do, but there's one thing you do not do. You do not, you do, you always have the utmost respect for his wife. Right. And so therefore as, as a man, like, and I can almost guarantee you that men who would ever hit their, hit their wife, their father probably hit their mom or there was no husband there. There was no father there to put them up against the wall and say, you never, ever, ever lay a violent hand on a woman. Who in the hell do you think you are? You know, th so again, these postmodernists who believe that it's a good idea or it's perfectly just, it's on an equal playing field to have just the mom in the home and no father, you know, you're, 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 you're not setting these boys up for success. Right. So, well, let's continue because there's something here that uh, a group of, of individuals that are really impacted by this in a profound way that I was kind of surprised by in this, uh, in what Warren Farrell's talking about. Father involvement. What happens is that the boy ends up uh, and a girl, by the way, um, ends up having less likelihood of being empathetic assertive, being much more likely to do badly in every single grade area in school, being more likely to be suicidal, homicidal, to shoot up schools, 
and being more likely to be in prison. When you look at prisons, prisons are basically centers for dad-deprived boys. In California, in the, since 1980, we've built 18 new prisons, one new university. There's been a 700% increase in the prison population in the United States since 1972. That's a 93% male population, mostly a dad-deprived boy population. Here's the most frequent pattern. The boy hears his parents in conflict, soon the dad disappears. The boy becomes depressed. Anthony Sims here in Oakland, his last Facebook post was, I wish I had a father. Boys who hurt, hurt us. Anthony Sims soon became the Oakland killer earlier this year. But other boys act out not by killing singly like Anthony Sims, but act by, out by doing school shootings. Most people don't know that there has been one school shooting per week on average since Sandy Hook. And we often say school shootings, they're the result of guns, they're the result of family values, they're the result of um, mental health problems. But girls live in the same families with the same family values, the same mental, similar mental health problems, the same violence on TV, and our daughters are not doing the shootings. Our sons are. And so here's just a sense of the location of those shootings in two years after Sandy Hook. School shootings are mostly white boys' method of acting out their hopelessness, and also the white boys' method of committing suicide. My perspective is I see suicide. And I want to say something real quick, guys, get your take on this, about one of the things that Warren Farrell mentions there is that the girls aren't committing the crimes, the shootings. And he makes the point that when these things happen, we want to point to family values, mental issues, gun control, whatever the case may be. But it's almost never brought to the national forefront of where was the kid's dad? What was going on? Why is there this correlation with these young white men committing these horrible, horrible crimes and lack of father we just it's it's like and again i think this is the problem with and call it political correctness whatever you want anytime we have a correlation between one group that is just kind of a a norm for their demographic to behave in a certain way and yet there's a correlation with ill behavior we can't talk about it lest we make them feel bad so instead of encouraging men to be better fathers men to be more honorable husbands, men to be better role models and, uh, and, and mentors of their sons. Instead, we start deciding, hmm, like he said, we, they look at the top line and go, girls don't do this, boys do. If only boys could be more like girls. Hey, let's try that. And Instead that's, of asking, why aren't the girls doing it too? Exactly, exactly. And I think it goes back because if you and if you did that, James, 
I think the problem is then you have to acknowledge there's a difference between the two sexes, right? If you, if you ask those questions, then you start, have to, you start having to dig into something that the postmodern world just doesn't want to face. And so, therefore, I think what we're seeing, it, it, that gets down to the granular level of the problems with a subjective society, right? Instead of being able to go, hmm, there is a correlation. We need to identify that. I don't know. And it, just for someone that was listening to that clip, they he put up a visual of the United yeah. States and showed where the shootings had taken place since Sandy Hook, and it basically covered the entire map. The entire Actually, map. Actually, uh, it looked like Montana and Utah and Idaho and maybe North and South Dakota were kind of clean, which was interesting. Um, maybe that's a different thing we can discuss and find out why. But it was all over the country, and until he said that it's a boy problem, not a girl problem. It never crossed my mind yeah. that every one of these shootings is a boy. I never even thought about it before. Yeah. Or, or it's a white kid. It's a, it mostly, I mean, look the ones. And so instead of, and so that gets chalked up to, you know, in the, in the grand media narrative, the national media narrative, well, it's just that typical, those white supremacist, you know, behavior is go get guns and shoot up everybody. Well, there's, there's something else at, at play here that I think we need to to check out. And, and yeah, man, I mean, it just, it is eye-opening when you start looking at the ramifications that seem to be stemming from these fatherless homes. It's, it's scary. It's scary. All right, I'll uh, continue here. Yeah, I'm glad you clarified, too, by the way, the gunshot so that people didn't think that I just pulled out my 45 and started blasting because I was aggravated or something. Thank you, James. Suicide is a reflection in boys of our inability to help track boys in a constructive way toward manhood. And we see that in the data also. So for example, before age nine, girls and boys committed suicide equally. Age 10 to 14, twice the amount for boys. 15 to 19, four times the amount. Age 20 to 24, six times the amount for boys. And what's so interesting is the girls it maintained boys the same race. Is the number one cause of the boy. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes to show that as these trends, as the trajectory conti continues, yeah, it's there's a profound impact on men that is not affecting women as much, and it's yeah, it's 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 crazy, man. Crisis. The number two cause is very much related. Boys go from the dad deprivation in home to a male teacher deprivation in school. We didn't used to know the importance of that. We now know that boys do do better with male teachers on average. That's a but we also land us that kind of goes to why you, I remember those kids, how they responded to you, dude. It was amazing. The feminization of education <laughs> is a contributing factor to boys' problems. When the United Nations did a study worldwide, they found that boys all over the world are one-third more likely to be graded higher on a reading test when the teacher does not know that the person who took the test is a boy. Wow. This leads to cause three, lack of purpose. When I was a boy, we basically had two senses of purpose. You were either a warrior or you were a sole breadwinner. Um, but as divorces occurred, male-female relationships got sh shook up, and boys um, and, and the feminist movement came in and they did a wonderful thing, which was they expanded girls' sense of purpose from the old raised children only 
to being able to raise children, raise money, or do some combination of both. But no one stepped in and helped bo expand boys' sense of purpose in an equivalent way. Instead, boys were told, earn money, earn money, earn money, or alternatively, be a loser. The women. One of the things I want to say about that, so one of my girls, we were talking over the holidays, and she actually mentioned, kind of going back to what you were saying earlier, James, that she, she and she, you know, both girls are, are talented, hard workers, but one of them said, you know, I'm almost embarrassed, and I really, I, I, I don't want to tell other girls that ultimately what I want to do is have a family and stay home. I mean, she said, I, I don't want anybody to know that. I don't want to tell anybody that. And, um, and I thought that's, that's sad. And I, and you I know, wish there's Emily a way we could change we're, that. We're, we're talking about that yesterday, actually. And I said, you know, when I was dating and before we were dating, I didn't know that was what I, I didn't know that was what I wanted in a yeah. future spouse. Yeah. I'm grateful that that's what I ended up, a woman I ended up marrying because now I realize that's what I want. But if you're a woman's not willing to share that, they're going to find a man who may not want that. That's exactly right. And so we need to be okay with sharing that, that we want that. Like a man needs to say, yes, I want a woman who will help me, will take care of the home and raise my children. And a woman needs to say, I want to take care of the home and raise children. And so they can find each other. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I wish that there was a TV show today, again, just looking for areas of culture where I know in my own life, Jimlin is so often my voice of reason. She, and now, and granted, you know, we're talking about different roles and all this, you know, uh, my wife, I happen to be married to a, an entrepreneur, a business owner. Um, just, I mean, she, she is a, she is a badass with, you know, traditional values, but also is that she, she, she's the girl that all these other women would look at and go, you go girl. And, and you know, whatever, but she's very, you know, traditional in her beliefs and, and the way we, and, and I, and I wish that there was something, but she, she likes also my masculinity. She likes how I am as a traditional masculine male, but I can tell you right now, she's my voice of reason. She's my greatest, my greatest counsel. And I, I, I think one of the, my favorite examples, if anybody out there listening, if you haven't seen this, there's, there's two really good examples of how I wish more women were portrayed in pop culture. It's uh, one is the, John Adams, the HBO miniseries with Paul Giamatti, who I think is one of the most brilliant actors ever, and Laura Lenny, who played his wife, Abigail. And yes, John Adams was one of the founding fathers, great attorney, all that. But it was Abigail that was his voice of reason, his great counsel when it mattered most. And then the, the second one, which is a little more fictitious, but uh, based on you know some historical fiction, was do you guys remember how King Leonidas felt about his wife in the movie Three Hundred? It was because it's. I wish that there was more of a portrayal of. There's not one stronger, one weak, weaker, one to be more glorified, one to be kind of taken the back seat. But there's they're equal, but they're in different ways. In each are honorable. For example, you know, and they I both, get. And sorry to interrupt. They're both 
choosing each other. Exactly. Neither one of them yes. is helpless. Yes. Both of them could do it alone. Exactly. But they're choosing each other. Neither one is coddling the other. And yes. Like, oh, I'm thankful you came along and saved me. It's not the princess. It's yes. a queen who says, I need my strong king. And then they both make sacrifices for each other. Exactly. And you just nailed one of the things I often say about Jimlin. One of the things I love most about her is she doesn't need me. She was doing just fine before I ever came along. She wants me. She chooses me. And I choose to to be what she needs me to be as a husband. And you're man, you nailed it. You nailed it. And Lance, hey. I know you had a nine thirty. Do you need to bolt or are you still good? Yeah, I, I I hate it. I really hate that I have to sign off. I do. Um, so James, great to meet you, and and Jason, thanks for y'all's time. If I can just kind of one little anecdote, one little sign off point. Um, and this is this is this is I'm saying this as an encouragement to others. This isn't a hey, look at what I did. But my one story from teaching that I will take to the grave. It's it's the one story I have is one of my. I mean, he fits the profile. One of my boy students, um, one of our bigs, you know, you get all these really great, fun, useful state tests uh, during the semester. And let's just say he did less, you know, he, he got about a 25, about a 20 out of 100 on, on the first the first exam. He's super bummed. I obviously don't call that out, you know, in front of everyone, but I pull him aside and just say, hey, I know you can do better than this. I wasn't mad. I didn't come down and be like, I wish you wouldn't blow this off and, and not take this seriously. I said, hey, I know you can do so much better than this. I know you can. Next semester in the spring comes around. So he 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 does he does do better, but it's like, you know, 45, 50. But he doubles his score. So I go to him. I find him where it's the end of the school day. He's about to get on the bus. And I grab him and I say, didn't I tell you you could do better? on that test and he immediately i mean it just breaks my heart but i I, had, I tried to do it to get get the point to him but he immediately you know face down just knows that it's coming just knows that i'm about to crack down on him i'm about to be so upset at him and i said i told you you could do better and you know what you did and he just i mean so sheepishly no sir and i said you more than doubled your score and i knew you could do it and you're awesome and I'm telling you what, that's that's one of the the hardest hugs I've ever gotten ever. Oh, that's so and, awesome. Yeah, no, smiling, and um, so that was seventh grade. His eighth grade year, I I left. I moved to Houston. His eighth grade year, I found out in his yearbook the highlight of middle school was having me as a teacher. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> ah, man, just I, I only say that just because it took just the tiniest little bit of trying to be genuine and encouragement and that's what stuck out to him in three years of of living and going to school so i just say that to say um there's a hungry group in this country of boys that need it and want to hear it of, of encouragement of i'm here to help and it just it doesn't take a lot of effort and um you know i probably could have said that better and but i just I just wanted to leave that little tidbit with y'all. And, um, I, and, and the other point was this whole, um, the line of, you know, we are not created equal. I feel like people hear that in our country now, my generation and younger, especially 
with our three second attention spans to anything, visually hearing anything, reading, but people need to hear, we are not equal. Men and women are not equal, dot, dot, dot. And that was how it was intended. And that is a great thing. People don't stick around for the second part of that sentence. And so I think this podcast can be an incredible launching pad for getting both of those parts out. No, we're not equal. And yes, we are thankful that we're not. We both have strengths and weaknesses that complement each other. Or we would be equally miserable, equally the same. No point. That would take so much of the fire and drive for us to be better, to improve. It'd be it'd be neutralized completely. So I think people getting both sides of that message through this outlet and and, and others that are brave enough to start addressing this topic and speak up um, could 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 spark some huge fires that that have needed to been sparked for years and years now. So I just want to compliment y'all. Thanks for letting me crash. I'm just a bystander and really appreciate um, just being a sponge with you guys and looking forward to what I think would be an incredible podcast and incredibly well received because the audience is out there, whether they speak up and post about it and want to, and want to be public with it or not. I think it's there. Awesome. Well, well, thanks for joining us this morning, brother. We'll catch up with you soon, man. Thank y'all. Well, so then there were two. All right. So, so let's go through a little bit more of this. How about that? You know, and the thing is what Warren you Farrell was know, I've talking seen, about. I've seen that. So working in retail for, from age 14 to, I think I was 28. So 14, over 14 years, I worked in retail directly with a lot of these kids as their manager. Some, I, I swear sometimes, like he said, the encouragement I gave them maybe was the first time ever someone noticed a strength or an improvement yeah. and congratulated them on it. Yeah. And it was shocking to me as a manager because I was able to get so much um, productivity out of these people, yeah. out of these 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 kids. Um, it was great. It was like, well, this is the best management strategy ever. You like love your, you know, you give encouragement, you notice strengths, you put them in the right spot, and you give them a high five when they achieve it and you win. But it's the same thing in parenting. It's the same thing in the school. It's the same thing in sports. Like we just need to identify these kids and and encourage them. I could not agree more. And I think that you know, I was listening to John talk about <clears throat> his his influence on that on that kid. And I think as men, a lot of times we want to we're tribal human beings at large are tribal, and we want a member of our tribe, the male species, to admire us or to compliment us. I mean, I look, I don't want to take away from what uh, a female encouraging that kid might have done for, for him. I, I don't want to take that away. Maybe it would have had just a profound impact, but I want to believe, <clears throat> or I have to believe, I, I kind of suspect that the fact that John was that masculine figure that was saying, Hey, you did good. That's, there's just something different in that. It's just like, the difference between when your mom says, sweetheart, I'm proud of you. There are n most mothers, you know, are more nurturing and they will compliment you. I know my grandmother in particular would, I could do no wrong. If I were to go really, you know, I always used to say I could end up going and killing somebody. And, and my, my grand bless her heart would be like, 
well, what did they do to deserve that? I'm like, no, Grant, I did something horribly bad, you know? But, you know, whereas, you know, the the male who will call you out and say, what in the, what were you thinking? And so when, by the, by the male who will say, Hey, well done boy. You know? And there's a, there's a scene that I heard about when, when this topic was being brought up, I should have pulled it up. It's kind of, it's kind of funny. There's some movie that Kevin Costner was in where he kidnaps a boy for ransom and they go across country or whatever. And it ends up this boy, I don't think he has a father. And so Kevin Costner, this criminal who has kidnapped this kid becomes kind of like the male figure in his life for a brief moment. And there's this one scene where the kid has to pee and he's embarrassed to go. And Kevin Costner's like, no, go ahead. You know? And, um, and he said, well, the other kids, they make fun of me. They say it's small because I guess he's been in the gym or whatever, and they and he's been teased. And, and the little boy, he said, and he, so Kevin Costner says, pull it out. Let me see it. You know? <laughs> and, and so finally the kid, he does, and Kevin Costner goes, no, it's just fine. And uh, it's this boy, his whole cadence changed because another male who is in possession of his own penis, you know, a, a more, you know, has said, you're okay, kid. You know, I'm a guy, you're a guy, I'm an older guy, I'm a man, you're okay. And there's just something to that, you know, and so, you know, we don't have to go through any more. I mean, we've gone kind of probably longer than either one of us thought. I but. think you should, I think you should play the YouTube video I just shared. I okay. don't know if you've seen it before. Let's, all right, let's uh, it's like a minute and a half long and it's, it's, it's extremely entertaining. I'll try to play at the same time so I can. Uh... Oh wait, no, you can play it for us. I forgot. Yeah, I'll play it for both of us. This is uh, this is a whole nother level of production that I'm used to. I know we're we're going big time. I'm just I'm I if I I'm just amazed so far that I haven't screwed anything up any worse than I have. All right, let's see. It hasn't come across yet though. So you don't see it in the chat. Oh, you see it in the chat. Well, see, you're even better. I thought you emailed it to me. I so... put it in the eCam chat. Yeah, let's see here. All right, there she blows. You have All to right. tell me if you've seen this clip before. I think it, well, I'll just let you comment on it. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see here. Well, let me pull the whole thing up so we can see it and make sure that I've got, All right, so there we are. And, and while we wait, um, what I'd like is people listening to this, let us know your thoughts on Twitter or by email or wherever you can get a hold of Jason or myself. And are we on the right track? Are we crazy? Are we seeing a problem that doesn't exist? Do you agree it's a problem that we need to work on? We didn't even talk about solutions. I don't know if Jason and I know the solutions. We just want to talk about it and, and start to the dialogue and to learn and educate but we really want to hear from you because, um, well, here we go. Okay. Um, this is good. Here's the video. Help him. He can't swim. I mean, learn. Everybody should swim. Just reach out in front of you and grab a handful of water. Pull it back towards you. Not too fast. The way I learned. Good. Well, how will he get back? Swim. Well, he 
Glenn, you go get it. No, I can't swim either. <laughs> That's awesome. And that I wouldn't I wouldn't mind getting I to learn how to wait. That is beautiful. Imagine John Wayne teaching you to swim. See now though, here's the thing though, you just triggered all kinds of people. You showed John Wayne. You know, is that swim. not allowed? I don't think so. I think John Wayne's been canceled. I don't know. Oh, what did he do? What did he do? Well, I think he was um I think he was like everybody else these days. I think he had a racist streak. And so, you know, yeah, the ultimate man's man. Uh, we were not allowed to 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 like him. But I, I think it's awesome. I think that was a perfect clip and for a different for a couple of reasons. One, it it, it changed the, the kid's life, and that's how that's what only a man would do that. It just showed a mom's not just gonna throw their kid in the water. But I do have a great story for you about this. There was this um, this lady here in town. She's since passed away here in Tyler. That I mean, taught I mean scores of kids how to swim, and she would tell the the moms, "You're probably gonna want to leave. You're not gonna want to <laughs> watch this." And a lot of the moms they'd be like, "No, I'm good. All right." And she taught every kid, including Rylan and Abby, my daughters. The way she started was doing just what John Wayne did. She would throw the kids in the water. And the moms, so many of them, not all, but a lot of them would just be bawling, crying, watching this happen. Whereas, you know, the dads are like, good, good. That's Keep your head up. If you swallow the water, spit it out. (laughs) Exactly. And then it's so, I think that, um, and, and there's just, yeah, that's, and, it seems rough around the edges, but here's the thing too. What's the, 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 the I guess the, let's see the, the dual, the two part symphony is having the woman there to hold that child and, and keep him tender when he needs to be tender, right? To be tender to him and, and teach him how to be tender when he needs to be tender, but also having the dad there to just throw him in the freaking water knowing he's going to be all right. This is how he's going. And, and two minutes later, he was proud of himself. Proud. He, he impressed his friend, and and he did it. Yep, yep. And I think that's the sad thing too. This uh, have you read um, Jonathan Haidt's new book, The uh, Coddling of the American Mind? Mm-mm. I haven't read that one yet. It, it's it's on my list. And I think this attempt, as we as we attempt to create utopia, where none of us ever have our feelings hurt. Every one of us is very so important that we're like godlike unto ourselves, and everyone is supposed to bow to us, and there's no pain, emotional, physical, or anything. Uh, I'm going to keep trying to put myself in positions where I do hurt a little bit, where I do put myself under a little stress and strain, because uh, I just I tend to think that that's a good thing to be able to have the wherewithal to handle the punches of reality, which will always be flying, no matter what. Yeah, and you won't be ready for them unless you prepared yourself for it. Exactly. And it's interesting. I've been afraid of this conversation. And even while we were talking about this, saying man or woman or boy yeah. or girl felt strange. Like, right. To say that, to say those words felt weird. And that's kind of eye-opening. But every time I mention this idea, they're like, oh, James, what have you been working on? 
and I'm like, oh, my friend and I, Jason, we're, we're discussing this idea for a show called the Endangered Man Podcast. And they're like, oh, we need that. Yep. And this yep. is all walks of people, men yep. and women, people yep. I don't know very well and some people I know very well. Yep. And so if this conversation is resonating with you and, and Jason and I are not eloquent on this, we didn't study for this, right. we didn't have notes for this. We just said, let's talk for 90 minutes about what we're seeing and see if there's something here that we need to dig in deeper on. Yeah, I think I think you uh, you said it best, man. We just we want to be a, a positive force in the world. And look, you know, nothing and, and look, nothing against Andrew Tate. But I do think there there's a reason why he's resonated so much. But I do think there's a better there's a better deliverer of some of the masculine message than that. And, and that's what, you know, James and I, there's a, we want to, that's one of the reasons why Jordan Peterson has become so popular is because there's just a hunger for, uh, objectivity for, for, for certainty. And like, we don't have all the answers, but shoot, we'll at least, we, we hope we get them from you guys. You know, right. That's <laughs> uh, hopefully they'll, hopefully we'll get, get some feedback as to, yeah, guys, you kind of sucked that first episode. You might have been all over the place, and Jason wouldn't shut up. But you're you're onto something. We'll we'll give you another shot. I think that'd be great. And I, I imagine if we were to do this, we would bring people on totally on both sides and discuss this. Not I don't want this to be a debate. I just want it to be a conversation. Um, but there are people out there who have done a lot more homework on this and are much more prepared and maybe have some ideas for some solutions for what we're seeing. Absolutely. Well, all right. You want to put a pin in this one? Are we good? Yeah, I think we're good. All right, brother. Well, thanks, James. Thank you guys for listening. For those of you who watched on the YouTube channel, thanks so much. I don't know if you don't. I'm going to put this up, James, whether you like it or not, dude. We're going to we're going to my videos. My my videos junk, but it might finally give me uh, a reason to upgrade my video here. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. All right, folks. I'm Jason. He's James. Thanks for listening.